0: the first of one of our um bible readings if you'd like to follow with me there are bibles in the front of you in the church chairs and we'll be reading from esther chapter 5 and that can be found on page 495 in those bibles in the seats in front of you i'll just give you a moment and again as you listen Listen for coincidences, listen for responses, listen for miracles. Esther chapter 5. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, He was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be given to you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, "'Come today to a banquet I have prepared for him.' "'Bring Haman at once,' the king said, "'so that we may do what Esther asks.' "'So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. "'As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, "'Now, what is your petition? "'It will be given you. "'What is your request?' Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther replied, My petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favour, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfil my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gates and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons and all the ways the king had honoured him and how he'd been elevated above all other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I am the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to a banquet she gave and... She has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew, Mordecai, sitting at the king's gate. His wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Have a pole set up reaching up to the height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman and he had a pole set up.
1: We're going to continue reading Esther um, from Esther 6, which you'll find on page 496 of the Bibles in front of you. I'll just give you a minute to find that. That night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai, had exposed Bigthar and Teresh, two of the king's officers who had guarded the doorway and who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on a pole he had set up for him. His attendants answered, "'Haman is standing in the court. "'Bring him in,' the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, "'What should be done for the man "'the king delights to honor?' Now Haman thought to himself, "'Who is there that the king would rather honor than me?' So he answered the king, "'For the man the king delights to honor, Have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor." Go at once the king commanded to Haman, get the robe and the horse, and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew, who sits on the king's gate, sits at the king's gate, do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai, and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, This is what is done for the king for the man the king delights to honour. Afterwards Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him. His advisers and his wife Zeresh said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared.
2: Dun, 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 dun. We're going to come to chapter 7 as well. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this great, intriguing story. I pray it would come to life. And may we profoundly understand that though you are hidden, you are not absent. And you're in control of all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this message is called The Great Reversal and that's what we're going to do and look at is not just these first two chapters we've had read, five and six, we're going to look at seven through to the beginning of chapter eight and it is a great story but I've got a question to ask us before we think about the story, who rules the world? Uh, It's a very important question to think about, and I know there's numbers of people in the world who think they rule the world. You think of the American president, he's often described uh, as the ruler of the free world. I think that title took somewhat of a hit with Donald Trump's time, but anyway, I'll leave that there. Uh, You've got President Xiaoping, and there's no doubt he thinks to some extent he really is ruling the world. And then there's President Putin, which the less said the better. Um, But at a personal level, it's really interesting to observe the way people talk about the world and how they think the world operates and runs. And you could call this the study or observation of the expressive culture of everyday life. Um, And it's one thing I'll often do is just listen to people and just see how they describe reality because all of us, at a very practical level, will understand the world runs in some way. Uh, Let me give you just two phrases to give you an example. I sometimes hear people talk about karma, that uh, I need to do this so I get good karma back. And what are they really saying in reflecting that? I think what they're saying is they believe that there is some divine impersonal force that rewards or judges their actions. Now, is that the case? Another one, and I will say, if you've said this, I do find this one amusing. Uh, somewhat annoying um, I'll give you an example to you I've never had a speeding ticket oh touch wood I don't get one and you'll hear people say the most intriguing things and then follow it with touch wood and I thought to myself really you think touching wood is going to affect getting a speeding ticket just slow down your driving honestly <laughs> that will help you not get a speeding ticket And I think what they're reflecting is a a belief that somehow the world is random, it's chaotic, and you want luck to be on your side. There is no force power God in control. And today I want to ask, is there a God behind the visible world that is invisibly ruling and in charge? That's the question for us as we go through this section of Esther. Because if there is, it should change how you completely view reality and how you live your life. Now, if you've not been here for the summer series, we're going through this intriguing book called Esther. Uh, It's in the Old Testament, it is intriguing. Uh, God is not mentioned, he is absent at that level, uh, but he is not disappeared, he is at work. He is invisible. But he is in uh, working away and it's set in the fifth century when Israel had been exiled and they're in the kingdom of Persia and let me introduce you to those who are new today to the four key characters and let me just say it's 10 o'clock or ten thirty in the morning we need to kind of get into this story okay are you up for it yeah because you'll get the most out of it if you engage with me and we actually need crowd participation as we go through the story now there's four characters that we're going to look at today uh, that are in these three chapters. And this, first of all, is Queen Esther. And the response is when we hear the name Queen Esther is what? Yay! Can I hear her? Yay! Okay. Xerxes the king. He's kind of like, mmm, okay. How about Mordecai? Yay. Come on, you can do about that. Yeah. What about Haman? Okay, there's five scenes we're going to go through, I'll just give you a couple other comments um, as we go through the story. Um, There's some key narrative features. If you've read through the story so far, the first four chapters happen over nine years. These three chapters happen over two days. What that tells you is it's all about to happen. This is the focus of the story. Secondly, all of these actions take place in the king's palace, the seat of royal power. Which begs the question, who actually is in charge here of the known world? Because the third thing is God is hidden, but he's not absent. And there's five scenes. And the first time I mention those names, I want you to respond audibly, okay? It's a bit like vaudeville today, we're going to have some fun. And this is a great story to engage with. Scene one, faith-filled courage. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes, well done, and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. And it is worth cheering because you see, she could have lost her life by going in to see the king. You can only go in if you're invited. She's not invited. We read that she's dressed up. She's not dressed seductively, she's dressed formally. The king is sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. And that's the way it starts. And the king asks her, look, uh, Queen Esther, what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it'll be given to you. Now you're going to hear that phrase said a number of times, and it's worth noting when you hear that, that he's not actually promising half the kingdom. It was kind of a a saying of the day, which effectively is saying, I'm in a good mood, darling. (laughs) Give it your best shot, and I'll see what I'll do. But I'm in a good mood, so I'll listen to you. And he dips the scepter to her to say, come on in. Verse 4, if it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman. Oh, come on. (laughs) I'm going to say that again. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman. (laughs) Come today to a banquet I've prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what you ask. Now, a few things happen. The banquet takes place. They eat, they drink, and they have a good time. But for reasons we don't know, Esther puts off asking the king her request. And if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, the people of God, the Jewish people, are literally about to be destroyed by that man named Haman. Boo. And Mordecai has said to Esther, you're the one. God has put you there for a reason as Queen, for such a time as this, you've got to go and plead for our lives and so that's why this banquet is set up and it could have cost her her life and she's a great reminder and example I think for us today to be courageous in the face of human opposition and trust that God will be with us even though we may not see Him but that he is invisibly ruling as we seek to serve and honour him with our lives. And so the first scene really is faith-filled courage as Esther goes in. But for reasons we don't know, she says, actually, we're going to have a banquet again tomorrow night. Come on back. Which leads me to scene two, human pride. And it's in this scene we see the true colours of the story's main antagonist. His name is Haman. Let's have a look at what happens. Verse 11, Haman boasted to them, his family and friends, and his wife about his wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honoured him, and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And you can just see him lying back there, I am... So wise, I'm so powerful, I'm so rich. And the hubris just drips off him. It is astounding, the pride. And that's not all, Haman adds. I'm the only person Queen Esther has invited to accompany the king to the banquet. And she's invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew, Mordecai, Come on, a bit louder, Mordecai, sitting at the king's gate. His wife, Suresh, and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up, reaching to the height of 50 cubits, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it, then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the pole set up. Now, it's quite stunning. Um, I reckon, this is my estimating engineering brain, That's about 15 metres up to the top of the ceiling there, okay? It was, if you translate the measurements, 22 to 25 metres high. So add another 10 metres to the top of the church and that's the height and size of the structure that Haman was building to put this Jewish man's head on. It is astounding, the evil. And it was ridiculous and you see here this incredible pride and hubris from this antagonist to the people of God which leads us to the third scene which is where all the action starts to take place that night the king could not sleep so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. And you can just see him, he's had a sleepless night, maybe he had too much food that night at the banquet. And he can't sleep. And he says to his attendants, come in and basically read to me about how great I am. <laughs> because one of the things with history is, history does not record the losers. <laughs> it's written by the winners about their conquests. And on this night of all nights look at what takes place verse 2 it was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigtha and Teresh two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway who conspired to assassinate King Xerxes and so of all the nights in the last nine years what is the night that he reads about Mordecai this night What honour and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing's been done for him, his attendants answered. And so the king is thinking, look, this guy saved my life. He should be honoured. And the thing is, the kings of that day would want to honour loyalty to show others that that's what happened. If you were loyal, you'd be looked after. And if you were disloyal, you'd be killed. And so it was in his own best interest to honour him. And he's thinking, I haven't done this. And it's worth stopping and reflecting at this point about the improbable odds of this taking place because this is literally the night before Haman is about to go, Haman, and organise for Mordecai to be killed. And as you read through this book you realise though God is not seen, he is not absent. And I'm sure that these events were divinely inspired. Verse 4, the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he'd set for him. I think we need a double boo for Haman. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Boo. Bring them in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, What should be done for the man the king delights to honour? Now this is, if I can say, Israeli humour. It's black, it's dark, but it's very funny what happens. Now Haman thought to himself, Who is there that the king would rather honour than me? So he answers the king, Well, for the man the king delights to honour, hmm, what shall we do? Hmm." Okay. Uh, Have them bring a royal robe the king has worn. Hmm, what else? Actually, get a horse that the king has ridden. And uh, you probably need a bit more, King Xerxes. Um, What you should do is um, put the robe on them and get him on the horse the one that's entrusted to the king's most noble prince and let them ride the man around the city and the king is to honour him and have this said about him, this is what was done for the man the king delights to honour. And you can just see Haman is sitting there thinking, oh man, it's going to be fantastic. Everyone's going to see how great I am. It's going to be awesome. And then you have verse 10 go at once, the king commanded Haman, Boo. get the robe and the horse and do just as you suggested for who? Lord. Mordecai, <laughs> who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you've recommended, Haman. It is just hilarious. Can you imagine being a fly on the wall of the king's chambers in the palace that day and seeing Haman walk in? And just strutting his stuff thinking oh man I am the man I'm gonna be on it put him on a horse put the robot and it's worth saying you see what he was suggesting is close to being a traitor and treason because it's really saying I really am the king here and he's just sitting back thinking okay who do you want it for and you can just see the words choking in his mouth. Mordecai? <laughs> and it's hilarious what happens. Afterwards, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman... So, sorry, verse 22. Verse 12. So Haman got the rope and the horse, and he rode Mordecai and led him on his horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honour. And you could just see... Haman going, this is what is done for the man who honours the king. (laughs) It would have been so painful for him. And what you're seeing here is, in one word, a transfiguration. One day Mordecai is just this ordinary but righteous Jew who is trusting in God and whose life is in grave danger and literally was about to be executed the next day. But the next day he is exalted and he's sitting at the king's right hand. One day he's at death's door, not recognised for the greatness of what he's done to save the king's life. The next, everyone knows. And we're going to think about what this communicates to us about the gospel at the end. But let's finish the story. Verse 12, after Mordecai returned to the king's gate, Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh his wife all his friends everything that had happened to him of course he did can you imagine him going home oh darling you've got no idea what a bad day I had at the office (laughs) worst day of my life And his advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, since Mordecai before whom your downfall has started is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him, you'll surely come to ruin. And while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet that Esther had prepared. It's the second night. And so he can't escape, he can't run, he's got to go back to see the king. Which leads to the fourth scene. The judgment of God chapter 7 verse 1 so the king and haman went to queen esther's banquet queen esther and as they were drinking wine on the second day the king again asked queen esther what is your petition it will be given you what is your request even up to half the kingdom it will be granted it's another day it's another banquet and it's another request and for the third time now the king is saying i'm going to do it for you honey i love you you're my babe whatever you want you can have it then queen Esther answered and I can imagine there was a seriousness to the tone if I found favor with you your majesty note how she addresses him in the culture of that day and if it pleases you grant me my life this is my petition and spare my people this is my request so save me save my people for I and my people have been said sold to be destroyed killed and annihilated now those three words are key because they are the exact words that haman had said to the king should happen to the jews he had said we want to sell them so they are destroyed killed and annihilated chapter 3 verse 13 and king xerxes asked queen esther who is he where is he the man who dared to do such a thing and esther said to him an adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman. Can you imagine the silence that would have been in the king's palace at that point? There's only three of them there. There's Esther pleading for her life and for her people. There's the king who is outraged at what is being meant to happen to Esther and her people. And there is the antagonist with them. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. He had three options that day. He could have chased after the king. That wouldn't have gone well because you can't come into his presence unless he asks you, that would have been death. He could have fled the palace. It was an admission Of being the bad guy. That would have meant death. The only thing left is to literally plead with Queen Esther for his life. But it's comical what happens. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the crouch where Esther was reclining. He literally falls all over her. And the king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while she's with me in the house? Oh he's trying to sexually assault her! off with his head as soon as the word left the king's mouth the king exclaimed will he even molest sorry as soon as the word left his mouth they covered haman's face they knew what was going to happen then habana one of the eunuchs attending the king said Do you know what? There's been a pole erected and it reaches the height of 50 cubits, 25 metres, and it actually stands by Haman's house. He had it set up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said impale him on it. And so they impaled Haman on the pole he'd set up for Mordecai and then the king's fury subsided. It's stunning, isn't it? The last scene... Is the exaltation of god scene five there's just two verses that same day king xerxes gave queen esther the estate of haman the enemy of the jews and mordecai came into the presence of the king for esther had now told how he was related to her the king took off his signet ring you can just imagine he takes it off which he'd reclaimed from Haman and presented it to Mordecai and Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. Haman is dead, his position is vacant and Mordecai is proclaimed in his place second in command. The enemy of God's people has been removed and the people of God have been elevated. I want to stop and just get us to think, what do we learn from this? It's a great story. And let me say, I'm going to come and finish the story next week and we'll have some more participation. But let's just stop and think about what we learned from this part of the story so far because here's really the heart of the story these three chapters we've been through. And the first thing is, this is the story of God's gospel. I wonder if you saw the connections as we thought about the great reversal that takes place. The story of Esther and Mordecai foreshadows the story about jesus because as in esther and with mordecai the judgment of god will fall on the hubris and pride of humanity it's one of the key things to learn god will not be mocked and all through scripture what you see is he opposes the proud those who think they rule their own worlds it's no coincidence that this is taking place at the seat Of world power that God is rearranging the thrones and it should tell us with a great sense of certainty that God will one day rule the world and he will judge hubris and human pride and those who oppose him will be overthrown and judged do not think you can stand before God without the Lord Jesus protecting you and covering you by his blood shed on the cross for you. We all need forgiveness from his hand. And the downfall of Haman is a warning to all that pride comes before the fall. But more so than that, these chapters remind us that there was another man who was righteous, who was also endangered in the time he lived in Israel. And the story of Mordecai is so very similar to someone else. In the scriptures who appears on the pages of the Gospels whose name is Jesus. Jesus the righteous one who was relatively unknown in his day. Jesus the one who was rejected by the religious leaders and the fascinating thing is from the very beginning of the Gospels from Mark chapter 3 they want to kill him but by the time of his death it's not just the religious leaders it's the Roman rulers And even on the last day of his life his own friends desert him and not just his own friends as he is nailed to the cross he's abandoned by God his father himself and he cries out those words of dereliction my God my God why have you forsaken me but in the great reversal of history what happens he is risen from the grave He is now ascended to heaven and one day he will be exalted for all the world powers to see he will return in glory and power and on that day every knee will bow every knee and those who are waiting for him his faithful people they'll be rescued and brought with him into eternity this story of Esther prefigures the great story of reversal and redemption that we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the other thing is, it also reminds us who rules the world. Though God is not seen, He is not absent. And I think it's one of the most important things to know in life because as we go out every day, we should be conscious. That god is with us by his holy spirit and though we may not see him we know he is still working you don't need to touch wood you don't need to worry about karma you need to have your life trusting in jesus and following him and knowing that he is with you and though he is invisible he works in the visible world though he Cannot be seen he is not absent from our lives and it should give us a confidence to live for him no matter what the cost because we know one day even though we may face rejection in this world there will be the greatest reversal in all of human history when the Lord Jesus returns for his people and may we live faithfully for him, the invisible God who rules this visible world and will one day be seen by all. May that be our hope and joy. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible story of faith and courage with Esther and Mordecai and for the way you, the invisible God, work so visibly and tangibly in this world. Though we do not see you, we know you are not absent. And may we trust in you with all of our lives and live faithfully for you in this world. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're going to stand and sing. Thanks, Dave.